we're going to be positive every day. You're the people being negative. You're in some of the fans. Larry Bird's not walking through that door, fans. Kevin McHale's not walking through that door, and Robert Parrish is not walking through that door. And if you expect them to walk through the door, they're going to be gray and old. And all this negativity that's in this town sucks. And I've been around, and, and, and when Jim Rice was booed, I've been around with Yashramsky booed, and it stinks. It makes the greatest town, greatest city in the world lousy. This is Entitled Town. Welcome back to Entitled Town, everybody. Uh, we're going to get into it right away. John's here. Shaq is here. Scartelli is here. Uh, Dan is here. So the, the cast of thousands is here. And Scartelli, does Drew Bledsoe get his job back when he's healthy? I've been going a few different uh, routes on this. And uh, I know that he's, you know, he's tall. He's got a big arm. And, you know, they, uh, they signed him for, you know, bunch of years but I'm, I'm thinking this brady kid's got something uh something you know intangible about him and he's uh he's had his uh his ups and downs this season but i i i just got a feeling that uh, he could uh he could actually uh actually surprise a few people if they uh if they managed to get into the playoffs that's ludicrous drew bledsoe had a pin in his finger blood sweat tears you do not lose your job to injury that is one of the unwritten in football john back me up here i, I gotta back you up mike i mean he's the franchise he was the first overall pick uh you know he led you to a super bowl he you know put aside the 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 playoff game against the steelers you know he needs more weapons uh, were we uh, were we ahead of the curve if we talk about weapons back then was that was that a little edgy for the time um, you know, how can you go? How can you go with a sixth round pick? You know, a guy who couldn't even, you know, lock down his job in college against the mighty Yankee player. I can't even remember his name. Drew Henson. You know, I mean, come on, <laughs> Drew Bledsoe, Drew Bledsoe all the way. I'm getting the Cleveland shakes even trying to, to pretend this is a thing. So uh, let's start with uh, I, I can't. I just can't do it. I, I just can't do it. Drew Bledsoe. I just I can't. It's been a while since our last uh, podcast. That's, that, that's the joke. That there, that's a show right there. Um, I want Dan to do a victory lap here. Uh, Dan, you absolutely nailed the scenario under which Mac Jones fall, fell to the Patriots. Um, well done. I mean, take your victory lap. It's it's well earned. I, I continue. I mean, I say this all the time. We pay attention to this stuff. And there was a lot of gaslighting and that we'll get into surrounding the Mac Jones pick, but the scenario you just, you saw it and you know, bravo. Thank you. Uh, I will say that I, I broke one of the central, the, the first commandment of entitled town, which is I turned on the radio and just to hear everything that people were saying after they made the pick. And I, I was just dumbfounded how the narratives that they were creating from that, how, well, first of all, it was all very Jimmy G driven. They were all just, they thought that was the, that was the thing that was going to happen. And then once that didn't happen, they had to change the narrative that, well, obviously this was something where uh, Bill Belichick overplayed his hand. So he settled for his plan B, which was uh, Mac Jones. And he didn't even want to draft Mac Jones. He he just gave into what Kraft did. It was a quid pro quo. I think Volan said that one, oh. a quid pro quo, um, 
for all the money that uh, Kraft laid out during free agency. But anyways, you know, two months ago, we laid out uh, a franchise quarterback um, theory, which is that it, things have changed. Now that we want to, the teams don't, because so many first round quarterbacks don't necessarily work out. The idea is to uh, go and identify that that guy that you can have as a cost controlled asset for, for five years. And, and if he works out great, if, if not, you move on from that asset, just like any other player that you draft in the first round. And that's exactly what, what happened. We, at, at the same time, we were saying, no, no, let's stay away from Jimmy Garoppolo. We were identifying like a, uh, a cheap vet. We were thinking some guy like Mariota and then draft a, draft a first round pick and a quarterback with a first rounder. And we were all looking at right. Mac Jones. I think we were all on board for that. And that's exactly what happened. He's this talented, highly regarded, cost controlled asset. He's he had a key position and and he's a winner. Um, with <laughs> who's who's been built up as very intelligent, a, a great passer. Yes, Alabama has a bunch of great players there, but. Uh, he had um, a record season last year. So now the position has depth. It has competition. They, they're only going to be using 5 to 10% of the Patriots cap. And they didn't commit any more dollars, treasure, or picks for Garoppolo. I think it was a win all the way around. I was, And we were right. Yeah, well, we were right on the Mac Jones thing. I was more uh, Team Garoppolo. Um, there's, there's been a lot of talk, uh, and I'll relate it to the podcast here. People are saying I didn't really wasn't excited to have my brother on the podcast because I didn't trade assets to get, bring him on here. John, uh, the Mac Jones pick, uh, we all loved it. Yeah, we all loved it. And, you know, another thing going down memory lane on this one just a few months ago, the idea that Mac Jones was a was a viable second round option for the Patriots seemed to be kind of a consistent thinking. And, you know, then it was, you know, he's moving into the first round. Would the Patriots take him at 15 or is that too early? And then you get, you know, closer to the draft and it looked like a sure thing that, you know, San Francisco might take him at three. And, you know, so it's and in the meantime, you know, that narrative about did Belichick love him? If he loved him, he would have traded up for him. You know, in the meantime, Belichick is working his board and the team is doing their thing and they're mm-hmm. understanding kind of the, the the movement around. And you can listen to some other podcasts where they, they've talked about this. Mike Lombardi, you know, went into some really interesting detail on some of his theories around you know, the teams that were very close to the Patriots and what they were trying to do. We talked about Carolina desperately trying to move out of their spot, but nobody wanted to get in there. You know, so if, you know, Belichick knows these things, I mean, it just, you just gotta, you know, who, whose side are you going to pick here? Are you going to pick the side of the media who has a theory, right? Or makes up some kind of foolish nonsense about, well, if he loved the player, right? Or are you going to trust the guy who basically, you know, understood the situation, understood the teams in front of him and what they were doing. And the player that, you know, that he wanted was right there for the taking at 15. And it's exactly the sort of theory, as Dan said, you have competition in camp with Cam as the veteran on a cost controlled deal and the, and the young rookie on a wonderful contract uh, where you've got this control over the next five years at a very reasonable price. And that's how you build a winner in the NFL. I mean, other teams have shown it is very, very easy to go from irrelevant to relevant with a talented rookie quarterback on a cost-controlled deal. I mean, hell, even Ryan Grigson was able to pull this off. That's a good point. Um, they have to be, New England has to be um, at the top of the list with fewest uh, 
percentage of cap allocated to the quarterback. Shaq, it can't be that Bill Belichick just read the room right. All the all the usual suspects are gaslighting us, saying he doesn't love Mac Jones because he didn't straight up to get him. Um, your thoughts on Mac Jones and this, this kind of, again, moving of the goalposts when the local media in Boston are wrong. Yeah, and it was so funny how that video came out from the Patriots when they had the pick of Mac Jones and Belichick goes to uh, all of, all of his guys and is like, "Hey, do you like that? Do you like do you like it?" And they and now and then the media they couldn't wait to just rush and say, "Hey, that doesn't mean he likes him. Hey, that doesn't hey, he, he's not he's not trusting that guy." Yeah, okay, whatever. Um, but I just love it at every team's. I guess every team should trade up for every player they want to draft always at all times. I mean, and and Dan brought this up a few minutes ago about to say that he was surrounded by talent. And that means that, well, he's not going to be that good because the players around him were good. So that means he won't. Uh, it could be that his skills won't translate to that level or it doesn't mean anything at all. I mean, look, everybody said Derrick Henry was no good because he had an elite offensive line at Alabama and they said he was too slow. That's a he's great gonna be another. He's going to be another Trent Richardson, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. I guess that wasn't very accurate, was it? People tend to generalize these players as if they're all in a bubble. And uh, uh, um, Joe Burrow from what last year, they pointed it as a knock to him. So Burrow's team was loaded offensively at LSU, but it was still clear that Burrow had the it factor that would lead to success. And I think Mac has that same it factor. I mean, as a quarterback, it's all about being smart. It's all about adjusting and it's all about learning. And the athletic quarterbacks, you know, Lamar Jackson's, the Patrick Mahomes is of the world. Those are all trendy and the league is changing towards that. But it's also the athletic guys who are also smart and adjust that last longer in this league. And it's more about being sustainable. And hopefully yes. Mac will be able to be sustainable. And the Patriots as a team, that's all you can really ask for. And I think that's what Belichick is happy about more than anything else is that is this guy going to sustain me for five six seven years however long and i say as fans that's all we can hope for also yeah and i i don't think if he succeeds or if he fails it has nothing to do with the talent that surrounded him playing in college i would argue that because he's surrounded by these wonderful athletes and alabama is always funneling players into the nfl at just a, a very very high rate he commanded the respect of these guys and he was able to lead them and they and, you know, succeeded with them. I'd argue that's a huge point in his favor, Scartelli. Uh, let's, I'll leave it to you to wrap up our thoughts on Mac Jones and the, uh, the, the media moving of the goalposts, the gaslighting, as it were. The way I saw the uh, not trading up was the equivalent of uh, Bill not calling a timeout at the end of the uh, Seattle Super Bowl. That's a great comparison. Didn't need to. It was in his best interest not to, so he didn't. And the more I'm reading, you know, and the athletic and the uh, local newspapers, non-globe division, about uh, Mac Jones, I'm ready to run through a brick wall for Absolutely. this. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And the unathletic uh, based out there in Medway, you know, had some <laughs> thoughts on him, but Shaq and I went off on that uh, on the emergency <laughs> podcast we did a couple of weeks ago. So uh, Mac Jones, we're all in chips in the middle of the table. 
Um, hat tip to my buddy Peebsy on Twitter for that one. Uh, John's frothing at the mouth to discuss the Vice special, uh, the dark side of football, Bill Belichick. I wish we had some uh, some uh, some ooh scary sound effects queued up, but uh, John's about to do the Clavin shake. The floor is yours, <laughs> Mister Irons. Oh, it was awful. It was awful. And I was so bothered watching it. I paused it multiple times taking notes on its awfulness because I wanted to make sure I got the quotes exactly correct. So this sort of propaganda, um, you know, it it has a real political bent. You know, I I mean, I I viewed it almost through a prism of like political propaganda because that's kind of what it was. And, you know, in the intro, you know, it, it used lines like, you know, while most coaches would have resigned in disgrace when it talked about uh, you know, some of these alleged scandals. Uh, it said scandals follow him at every turn. You know, you have Rob Parker, Rick Sanchez, who some of you, you guys have to educate me on who he even is. Like, I don't even know who Rick Sanchez is. Yeah, I think he's a catcher for the yeah. Yankees. <laughs> <laughs> I remember him from CNN. He, uh, yeah, he was he used on to... air when they did the uh, balloon boy. Yeah, he used, to, he used to work in Miami and at a TV, he used to work in Miami at a TV station in Miami. And that TV station is very propagandist. So it doesn't surprise me that he's working for Vice. But go ahead. Well, he fit he fit in perfectly on this. I mean, they just stopped Mike Lynch for this, for God's sakes. You know, I mean, give me a break. Zoomed Mike Lynch. Yeah. Full disclosure, <laughs> I didn't watch it. Yeah, you don't. Well, what was I'm that from the takes home? I, I'm stealing your line, Mike. I'm watching it so you don't have to, right? So, yeah. so you know, again, it, file under propaganda. Look at the word choices, right? I mean, they use words like humiliation, fiasco. They rely a lot on superlatives, right? You know, it's it's just, it's it's so gross. It starts off with some of the Cleveland stuff, you know, the giant stuff into the Cleveland stuff. And and they've got Eric Metcalf, right? And they talk about the, the Belichick, Kosar, Testaverde thing, which I thought was kind of interesting. And they have Eric Metcalf talking about how Bernie Kosar was still capable of winning games. And if you guys want to take a guess how many more games Bernie Kosar won after Bill Belichick benched him and then released him. Any, any, anyone take a guess how many more games he won in his career? Three. Zero. Zero. Okay. Zero. He was wearing so flip-flops Eric- on the sideline in Dallas and in Miami as backup. 0-3. 0-3 in, in, the, in the remainder of his career for starts, right? He didn't win a single game. Eric Metcalf's talk about how he's still capable of winning games. He didn't win eight games, right? Bill Belichick was right. So they tee this stuff up, you know, as if Belichick, and then, you know, they want to ride him out on a rail. And it was such an impopul- unpopular decision among the Cleveland fans. The guy never wins another single game, right? Bill Belichick was correct on that, right? Hold off on Volan because the, the, the Volan stuff was enough to make me want to, like, strangle my phone. The The... Actually, no, let, let me get into Volan because I've got a bunch of quotes here. Ben Volan, the ben, Michael ben, Jordan of easily manipulated idiots. Ben Volan, right, who was in middle school when this stuff was going on with, with, with Eating paste. in Cleveland, right? He was in middle school in Maryland somewhere, right? Be fair, he you know, eats paste now, too. <laughs> he talks about his last, se- last season in Cleveland was, was a disaster. No mention of the fact that the team was in the process of moving. Right. All the disruption associated with Modell announcing the team was moving and, and Belichick is stuck, you know, kind of picking up the pieces of that. He speculates on the Parcells and Belichick era with the Patriots. Right. You know, he's he's a, still what, in high school at that point, probably nowhere near and in, in, living in Massachusetts or in New England at all. He speculates on the fans in New England when Belichick was hired. I mean, you know, does, does anyone think that Ben Volan has any agency whatsoever on any of these topics? And he's sitting there 
looking like, you know, COVID has got the best of them, right? Doing this interview for Vice. And I'm like, this is awful. This is the sort of propaganda. And it makes me, makes me think anytime I watch Vice, if they're so wrong on this, a topic that I have some familiarity with, how can I trust them on anything? Like, how can I trust anything they say in this series? How can I trust, you know, they, they pride themselves on their international reporting, right? They do a lot of war zone stuff. That's kind of how I think they've kind of made their like legitimate bones, you know, doing the stuff in kind of like, you know, danger zones and kind of combat zones. How can I trust anything they're putting out when I know this kind of garbage is what they're putting out on, on football? It, it really kind of affects the brand. You've got Mike Lynch referring to Tom Brady as a little kid named Tom Brady when he gets the starting job. A little kid. I mean, what, what do we even, what is that? Like, who says these things, right? And he also refers to Belichick as he's not friends with his players, as if that's an indictment. You know, Bill Belichick is, is indictable because he's not friends with his players. Volan also says if they don't beat the Rams, there's no dynasty and Bill, Bill Belichick is fired after year three. I mean, are you kidding me? Like, are you serious? Like, let's say they lose that game. They're a 14-point underdog. The, the next year, they still have a winning record. Does anybody think Bill Belichick is fired after that? Come on. I mean, he's he is just unbelievable. One of the funny funny moments, they bring out the Zamboni reference. The, 19, the, the 1982 strike season Zamboni is, is brought into this as if it's an indictment of the Patriots' multi-decade legacy of cheating. <laughs> I think the they John the thing. John Smith Dolphins game when the the convict from Walpole State Prison <laughs> came on. that's relevant timely exactly so it's like you know it's uh it, I, I mean I don't even did know they, what that did was they all not about. find the uh, guy in the uh, raincoat at uh, Harvard Stadium <laughs> <laughs> I think Dad was probably at that game unfortunately I think John- Upton Bell was not available for this one apparently I, Nor- I, last couple things last couple right. things I'll say on this they they uh, when they get to the plate gate. They use the 11 out of 12 balls, which has been completely debunked, right? I mean, they are using debunked stuff, like stuff that either has been demonstrably proven wrong or is complete wild speculation that has never been proven correct, right? But even stuff that was proven wrong, they are using in this thing. They talk about the Brady suspension and say that Belichick sacrificed him and Brady was the fall guy for this. I mean, they they refer to Brady uh, destroying his phone which I have always thought I would do a, a podcast on this alone. Okay. The smartest thing mm-hmm. Tom Brady ever did was destroy his phone because those slugs in the league office would have leaked every single text message, every bit of content, every bit of gossip and dish Brady had with his friends and his teammates about other players, et cetera, et cetera. We probably would have gotten a tremendous amount of gossip on how big a tool Peyton Manning is. Right. But Tom <laughs> Brady, to his credit, didn't want any of that out and destroyed his phone because he knew he knew not to trust those slugs in the league office right and that is in my opinion why he got the suspension because he didn't give them the satisfaction of being able to go through his personal text messages the last thing they wrap it up one of the last things they say they refer to belichick as the sith lord i mean are you serious mm. like it 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 is unbelievable it is so bad and, and the, the final thing i want to say on this as i'm watching it i'm reminded I, you know i love i love making simpsons references i love making simpsons references and it reminded me of the simpsons episode where homer's getting railroaded for sexual harassment because he peels the the gummy venus off the babysitter right and and he ends up appearing on this show this kind of mock show called rock bottom which is a spoof of like any of those you know hard copy type shows back in the day and 
you know, and, and they, they do this this uh, this this made-for-TV movie, the Homer Simpson story, with Dennis Franz as a lecherous Homer Simpson. And I'm like, the only thing this thing was missing was Dennis Franz playing Bill Belichick in the send-offs, right? I mean, if they had Dennis Franz in the role of Belichick, it would have been the perfect spoof of the Simpsons spoofing shows like Hard Copy, because that's really what this was. I'm done with this. Never mind, he's rolling. Um, I... <laughs> The thing that gets me, it's to, to your point, John, about the leaking. Do you guys remember when Brady's email got leaked about the, right, color, about the, the cover of his pool cover? The pool cover. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's something as benign as that was spun and manipulated into something that, I mean, clearly was just, I mean, it's clickbait, that sort of thing. Um, any show that's building Ben Volan, a mittens, that they think he has his mittens on the pulse of the Patriots fans when he was in Boca Raton, child, please, Shaq, uh, you watched the special, your thoughts on it. Okay, I, John, uh, <laughs> you kind of stole a lot of my thunder there because I, <laughs> I took notes too, but not as copiously as you did. Yeah. Um, and I know Dan did too, so I'm, I'll try to be quick so I can have Dan talk too. But yeah, when, when we were talking about this uh, in our thread this week and we found out that this was from Vice, I said, oh, this isn't good. And the reason I said this isn't good is because, first of all, Vice is based in, want to guess where? Anybody want to guess where? Where Vice is based in? Kansas City? Brooklyn. Brooklyn, New York, ladies and gentlemen. Just a few, just a hop, skip, and a jump away from Park Avenue. 345 so, Park 345 Avenue Park adjacent. Avenue. So, yep. that, so that's number one. That's where, okay, you lost me there. And first of all, Vice, I mean, their entire publication is managed by skinny uh, white dweeves with purple or blue hair and piercings in their nose and their belly buttons. So <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. Um, so Brooklyn, me, we, we covered that yeah. when we said Brooklyn. Yeah, exactly. But just, just, to, just to give everybody a visual for just in case they don't know. But there's no doubt for me that this was going to be a, a hatchet job. And not only was it a hatchet job, it was low budget. I mean, the reenactments, I mean, <laughs> they are comparable to Saturday Night Live season six. I mean, they were just so bad. It was just ridiculous. Um, like Bill, like the goof, he was some goofy, shadowy figure that would just sneak around to break the rules, making Bill to be some callous asshole, even going all the way back to the Kozar decision. And it was ridiculous. Um, no, not really highlighted, but it, it was part of a whole story that they were telling that the Pats organization puts winning above integrity. And they also feature the Bengals taping incident, which was mm -hmm. complete crap. <laughs> and it, it, they, obviously the league and the league found it had nothing to do with Belichick. So why is it in this yeah. special here? Yeah. And then the eligible receiver play that Harbaugh <laughs> was whining about, Har baby. Oh. <laughs> that was oh, apparently that's cheating too or something and look rob parker i mean when you when you have a guy like that who is on fs1 who you know that, that's like channel 285 on your fm dial or whatever that is um he accuses the patriots organization of deliberately deflating footballs to make them softer yeah okay whatever parker i mean this guy's a character he said that he said that no way, no how, that's a quote. No way, no how would Brady and the Patriots win another Super Bowl. They won three after he said that. 
So he's he's very qualified to talk about. We don't need to talk about Ben Bowen because I mean you can hear him on the failing WEI. Does and anyone with, hear him on WEI? I would ask that question. Oh, but yeah. Well, I mean, if you count if Lint were was an actual object, then I would count them as people. But anyway. Um and also, they said that the Colts back in the day were very paranoid about the headsets jamming at Gillette Stadium. I was, um, J- John or Dan, I was waiting for the uh, for them to mention the CBS scene lighthouse story. What happened oh, to man. that? <laughs> it was just ridiculous. And um, were they and, pumping uh, in noise when they were talking about the Colts uh, Patriots stuff? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and about the snowplow incident. I mean, first of all, different coach, different players, different ownership, different uniforms, different stadium. It had absolutely nothing to do with the Belichick Patriots or the Bill Parcells Patriots or the Pete Carroll Patriots or the Dick McPherson Patriots. I mean, it's like saying, oh, the Steelers defense was great in the mid 70s. So it still must it must be now. I mean, what is this, three, four decades now? And if any of these sacred cow teams like the Bills or the Steelers or the Eagles or the Giants or the Packers or the Browns or the Bears, if they did the same thing, they'd be you'd be watching it right now on NFL Network and NFL Football Follies, and they'd be laughing at it instead of it being a prophecy of, of future behavior for an evil team. And you know, what's, you know what I think is really funny is these same people who claim that there were no Patriots fans prior to 2001 – Right, because I get that all the time. Me, mm-hmm. me, I, I, I live in New York, so I get that all the time. Oh, you, you were just a bandwagon Patriots fan. All these people who claim that that these Patriots fans showed up in 2001, they also believe that those same fans were, were around 20 years prior to that and wholeheartedly approved of cheating with a snowplow. So, you know, <laughs> make it make sense, Terry. I mean, it's, it's crazy to me. That, that entire special was a piece of crap. And if you do want to subject your eyes to that, um, go on YouTube. It's right there. And I recommend reading the comments because there's not a positive comment about it. It's, it's just terribly done and it's a, a rush job. And I just think it's people with agendas who got other people with agendas to talk crap about the Patriots. And yeah, that's about it for me. It, 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 it's, it's disgusting. And, you know, just another, just another piece of the puzzle for Patri- people that hate the Patriots. Jack Lambert isn't walking through that door, fans. Joe Green's not walking through that door. Mel Blunt's not walking through that door. Dan, you subjected yourself uh, to this piece of wretched <clears throat> journalism or wretched yeah, documentaryism. And, and thankfully, John and Jack covered most everything, so we don't have to rehash much of it. I, I, I feel I even feel a twinge of. Uh, sorrow for poor Rob Parker, who is going to have to, at some point in time, come up with a new grift because he won't have Belichick and, and, and Brady to, to do it anymore. Um, I thought that the key takeaway from that was a change in the narrative. They're, they're shifting the narrative now that Brady's gone to Tampa to make it all about everything is Belichick's fault. So back when even the league didn't blame Belichick for anything during Deflategate and put it all at, at, at Brady's uh, feet, um, they, the narrative that they had going on for this, or the narrator said, you know, Belichick once put winning over personal relationships when he spied on his friend, Eric Mangini's jets. Was he now sacrificing his star quarterback to shield himself? <laughs> I feel like, again, well, you guys that, were... if, I feel like the, when you're saying this is just have the, uh, the in-between music for, um, 
uh, who wants to be a millionaire when they drop the lights and oh yeah. yeah oh yeah it's it, it was just fascinating to watch this I, I i was laughing more than i was uh offended at I don't think I was offended at all. They spent clearly spent more money on, on the recre, uh, recreations than they did on the research. Um, but the other thing I thought was <laughs> the one recreation that I thought was hilarious when they were showing, trying to uh, show Bledsoe going in to talk about, to uh, not, but yeah, good to Bledsoe when he was going up to talk to Belichick about losing his job. And they showed like this close up of Bledsoe's fist pounding the, <laughs> pounding the desk and then uh, Belichick with his hands up saying, you know, Hey, I don't know what to tell you, Drew. That's <laughs> you passed the ball too much. <laughs> <laughs> that, that boom for the win. You know, I think what's interesting um, is that we're witnessing in real time, the media, excuse me, media rehabilitation of Tom Brady. He's consciously distancing himself from the Patriots. And that's something we can talk about a little more. Scartsy, you also subjected yourself to it. What, what are your thoughts? Wrap it up on uh, uh, that wretched documentary. I, I'm I'm more in uh, Dan's camp. He's this is old hat for him. He uh, subjected himself to O'Leary back in the day. Oh man, that's right. The uh, tinfoil hat Steelers fan who's written a book that has less that has slightly more readers than Greg Bedard has subscribers. <laughs> so yeah, there's a few things. One, there's it was poorly researched. They said, for example, that the Patriots were wild card teams in 2005 and 2006. They played in the wild card game, but they were not the wild card team. Uh, you know, at one minute they're saying right. that Bill Belichick received a $500,000 fine. And then one minute later, Bill wasn't punished at all. <laughs> idiocy like that. There, there was one, there's a few decent things in it. Very, very few decent things. But one of them is Dante Stallworth. Who was brought in, I think, to be the uh, to be the white sheep of this to come in and say, well, no, Bill's just a uh, coach who, you know, wants his team to be as prepared as uh, humanly possible. Yeah, that was uh, if you if you were to just edit out everything that uh, Dante Stallworth said, it would be a that would be a fine, uh, fine uh, piece of uh, piece of documentation. Good point. Good point. Stallworth uh, added yeah. for, a, for a little balance, John. Yeah, yeah. I would, I would say Dante Stallworth, Pepper Johnson, and maybe Al Groh. If, if we could see the raw footage of those conversations, that's a documentary. That would have been that would have been good. If they just put all that out there on YouTube or whatever, unedited those conversations, I'd, I'd be interested in that because Pepper Johnson acquitted himself well based on what they showed. Uh, as Scarzi said, Dante Stallworth did. I thought Al Groh and even Eric Mangini. I mean, and Eric Mangini, I'm sure, could have, you know, said something very, very, you know, kind of, um, you know, uh, edgy that would have, you know, been, you know, splashy within that documentary. And um, he was he he got very little airtime, which means he was a a hostile witness for the vice crowd. Right. right. Uh, one last one last bit, one last surprise. No mention of uh, John Tomasi. I mm. think because they realized Jesus. that that would bring up the fact that uh, most people don't know what the hell Spygate is. Mm -hmm. yeah, or no that, mention of the point. or no mention of the apology at two o'clock in the morning on ESPN when they mentioned. Oh yeah. You know this is well, this is why we're like here. Spygate. Go ahead. I'm sorry. They're making it like Spygate uh, was something that Belichick started doing in 2007. 
right. that the, that the filming the signals as as a result of being a wild card team like like Scarcy just said in two thousand five like and two thousand six. It sounds like it was well, really and, uh, well. Rick researched. Sanchez says they were filming with hidden television cameras. I'm making the uh, finger quotes right now. <laughs> was he wearing a tinfoil hat? Was he on screen? He was sitting in a chair, very strangely. You'll have to watch it. Yeah, or not. So. No, no, no. You don't, don't watch it. That's my so, advice. L- listening to you all, I think this was Troy Vincent's kids' class project that made it on device. <laughs> uh, somebody did somebody a favor, it sounds like. Yeah. Um, Shaq, uh, Tom Brady Sr. was in the news recently during our hiatus. <laughs> uh, Tom Brady Sr. is a big fan of the radio men. Yeah, clearly. And... <laughs> Yeah, he goes by the name Tom in California, which I mean, do you do you really do you really want to be noticed as that? Um, but yeah, he went on the radio. He went on Zolak and Bertrand and called in to say that he's salivating to see the Bucks go up to Foxborough and blow them out, go four and zero. And by the way, I, I love that this one Twitter guy. Um, I, I don't know what his name is, but I think he was a reporter in Tampa and saying. Oh, 98.5, the sports hub. Homers all day long. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that deserves the laugh track. Yeah. yeah. Show me you don't listen to, uh, you know, 98.5 <laughs> without saying you don't listen to 98.5. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, a, and, that, that's a really good point. Go ahead, Shaq. Yeah, but I'm just so sick of him. I really am. And I get it. I get that you're... You're the parent, but it's giving me LeVar Ball vibes, you know, <laughs> undefeated, never lost. It's giving me, it's giving me that type of a vibe. Like, dude, you, you, you got your, your son is great. We all know this, yep. but you're not the star here. Your son is. And so at least just go in the back, but especially don't call into a radio station. You know that they're not, they're not interested in what you have to say. They're only interested <laughs> in, in, you dissing the Patriots like you just did so that they can milk it for what it's worth. Well, that's and, why he called those homers. Yeah. And luckily, you know, he didn't go on WEI because so, he wouldn't have any audience at all. Uh, boom. But, uh, boom roasted. <laughs> but I, I just, I just, I just hate the fact that he went on there and it, it, it's, it, it makes no sense to me. I, I just, I just wished it. And, and on week four, I know that there, he's going to be on the station again. And it's oh, yeah. be, what do you what do you think about what do you think about it? And I don't I don't want to root against Tom Brady. I really don't. But if, if don't tell anybody, but if they go on for, I wouldn't mind it <laughs> just so that they wouldn't have to ask the question. It's um, that's a podcast. Uh, we could, that's a podcast I'm looking forward to. Uh, Bucks week. We might actually record a podcast between now and then, but we're definitely doing one <laughs> God willing on Bucks week. Anyone else interested in chiming in on a uh, Brady senior? Bueller? Well, I'm just, I'm just hoping that Mac Jones's dad isn't getting caught up in the, uh, in the sticky wicket of Tom E. Curran. You know, if, if, if Tom, if Tom E. Curran is stuck with Tom Brady senior as his source from here until eternity, uh, that's fine. I don't want him getting his hooks into any other quarterback fathers. Cam Newton's dad seems to be doing a perfectly fine job. Hopefully Mac Jones's dad can do the same. Fair enough. Uh, so that's it on uh, Brady senior. Um, we're going to touch on something else that happened during our hiatus. Ben Dreith Patriots fans of a certain age know that name. Well, Ben Dreith passed away. 
Ben Dreith, of course, made the infamous roughing the passer call on Ray Hamilton when the Patriots played uh, the Raiders in the divisional playoff out in Oakland in uh, 1976, right before the New Year's 1976. Uh, that play, that miscarriage of justice, uh, to quote the, the late great Gorilla Monsoon, was just it was really, it really was, that's what it was, John, a miscarriage of justice. And it was something that was in the household that was just spoke about with disdain and Ben Dreith. Oh yeah. With the, the way hit the words would come off of dad's lips, kind of the same when I say the words, Greg Bedard. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's the, it's the 76 team, you know, it, it predates my memory, but you know, a lot of people thought that 76 team was the be- the best Patriots team of all time until the, this Belichick Brady era. Um, the, the, they had beaten Oakland earlier in the year, given Oakland their only loss of the season. Blew them out. Uh, I, I, you know, I looked up the, the data, the stats on this game, you know, the Patriots were an eight point dog in this game. Uh, it was the divisional round. They had a 21 to 10 lead going into the fourth quarter. Um, you know, they, they, they probably were the better team. They should have won this game. The, the call on Sugar Bear Hamilton, you know, we've all seen it cause it's, uh, it's out there online. It's you bad. can see how. Yeah, you can see how bad a call. And it's 1976 it when football was brutal. Yeah, even even like I, that probably would be a call today, but that wouldn't have been a call ten years ago. Like you know, 76, right? it certainly wasn't a call ten years ago. It probably wasn't a call today. It, today it probably would be. So if it's you're, a call, it's if, a call. It, yeah, if you're if you're new to football, like you know, within the last few years, you probably do think it's a call. But back then, it absolutely was not a call. It was a it was a garbage situation. It, it you know the, the Patriots made some mistakes after that you know so it 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 didn't all hinge on that call but um, you know whatever I mean but it was a bad call you know the the thing that I thought was interesting that I saw on this and I I, I think I knew this but I'd forgotten it Ben Dreith like the Patriots made sure Ben Dreith didn't do another Patriots game for like a decade right you know he was he was off the Patriots beat for the next decade it was it was actually more than a decade uh, because of how upset they were and how bad a call that was so. You know, and that's why, and, and then if you're, again, if you're a Patriots fan of a certain age or you grew up in a certain house where you feel like you're a Patriots fan of a certain age, then I have no sympathy on the uh, tuck rule. You know, fuck those races. Zero. Fans, Zero. Right? Absolutely. You know? so, a correctly so, so, called rule, by the way. Right, right. So, you know, it's like, I mean, you and I talked about it. I think when it happened, like this yeah. is, this is revenge. Time. This yep. is revenge. This is like revenge for dad and his crew. You know, for 1976. So fuck those guys in in you know 2001 in the in the divisional game in 2001. You know they got they that was a long time coming, but it finally came back around. There's the clip. If I'm going to do one of those screen recordings, there's the clip. John talking about the Raiders. Fuck those guys. <laughs> anyone else? Well, uh, anyone else have thoughts on the passing of Ben Dreith? Are we just going to say, well, bye? All right, there we go. I, well, I just think it's funny that the that that guy gets a that. Walt Coleman, uh, speaking of the 2001 division, yeah. Walt Coleman gets a hundred times more of the blame for making the right call than Dreyf does gets for making a bad one. Well said. Yeah, it's a, that, that is really well said. It's a, it's a narrative. The whole thing the, with the, um, and it's happened over the course of, of three decades now, or several decades now. The Raiders are, are vilified in the moment, but they're always, they were allowed to spin their own narrative. You think about the Villapianos, and mm-hmm. guys of that era. And then you have, you know, uh, Howie Long is doing the same thing from the 80s. Now you got Lincoln Kennedy and the, the crew saying they were robbed in the 2001 uh, divisional playoff at Foxborough. So Ben Dreith, bye. Um, oh, yes. To uh, 
borrow a phrase from Mark Twain. I uh, can't attend the funeral, but I approve of it. <laughs> well, I, I think harsh, but fair, Scarcy. It's harsh, but fair. Um, it occurred to me, and Scarcy actually brought this up to me, Shaq, that we have not, you have not had to go through the ritual, the entitled town ritual of having some uh, of the boilerplate rapid fire questions fired at you. Are you game? I'm ready for this. I've been, I've been waiting for this since I've gotten on here. All and... right. Beautiful. All right. So I'll let John yeah. start off here. John, go ahead. All right. I'm going to, I'll kick it off. I've got one that came to mind right away. So your first Patriots favorite player from childhood. Okay. My first one. Uh, it have to be Ty Law. Yeah. Yeah. And, that's, that's a good one. Yeah. 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 Because he's, he's the one guy uh, because I became a fan in 94 and I know it was, he was after that, but I mean, I, I, he's just the first one that I distinctly remember. And yeah. it's not even Bledsoe for some reason. Thank God. Well, um, well I was going to say, I know, I know somebody else that wouldn't have been Bledsoe either. So. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite game of the, of this, of the, the Belichick Brady era? Uh, does it have to be Super Bowls? No, absolutely not. Because my favorite game uh, is, I don't know, I just love the, the Titans game, the 59 and nothing game. Oh yeah! Oh, that's awesome! It, that's awesome! I just, yeah, that one was I off just, the board. That was that was covered by field. It was plus three hundred for the field on the answer on that one. <laughs> yeah, I I just love watching a team just dominate, and that, that's what it was. It was domination. Even Lawrence Dance Dance Revolution Maroney got a few uh, touches in there, which was pretty cool. So, Corey Dillon or Legarrette Blunt? Oh man! Ooh. I love me some clock killing, but I mean, Blount, I mean, uh, I just, I, I like Blount because I, I, I always remember him for that play, that, that Dolphins play. So I'll go with Blount. Amen. Kevin Falk or James White? Kevin Falk. Oh, enthusiastically. Yeah, absolutely. Kevin Falk. That's fantastic. He was, That's he was my second favorite player after, after Tyler because third downs don't, don't yeah. even think about it. Just, just, Hitch it over, hitch it over to Kevin Falk, and he'll get it for you. You can live one victory over again, the day of Super Bowl 36 or the day of Super Bowl 49. 36. Yeah, 36 was 36 was pretty goddamn special. And uh, yeah, living here in New York, uh, 36 to me was like the first time where I was able to. Well, that entire season I was walking with my patch jersey, but that, but. <laughs> I remember the weird story being in church, and I remember when I went, actually before the Super Bowl because the Super Bowl was that Sunday, and I went to church and I said I'm rooting for the Patriots, and everybody was like, "You're rooting for the Patriots? They don't have a chance." And I'm like, "Well, so," but I'm rooting for them. And next week, I you know I was able to show up a lot of people, so that that that, that victory meant a lot. Well, you know, you're in church, right? I mean, that's why you're in church, right? It worked out. Exactly, exactly. Our, our favorite wide receiver during the run? Wow. I mean, we got a lot of choices here. Well, let me narrow it down for you. Brent, <laughs> Welker or, or Edelman? Edelman. Edelman. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah, Edelman. Agreed. Anyone else have some rapid fire for uh, our, our buddy Shaq? Anyone want to chime in? Uh, they're not the Because if, if you guys don't, I have a couple of, of 
rapid fires too. I told you I waited for this for a while. Beauty, go, go. Um, let me see, where is it? Okay, uh, okay. So, any of you, you can pick one patriot ever to have an injury-free career from beginning to end, not including Tom Brady, because obviously that 2008 season, we were sure that he would have had great success. But one patriot to have an injury-free career, which one? It's easy for me, Gronkowski. Dan? Hey, that's a good one. Boy, it's not so rapid, is it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyone else want to chime in with that one? Oh, I, you know, I'm going to go old school with Daryl Stingley. No, oh, great choice. Great choice. John Stevens? Oh, John Stevens' career was effectively ended when he paralyzed 49ers safety Jeff Fuller yeah. in a game at Stanford Stadium. I think it was the 88 season. And they were playing there because Candlestick, no, it was 89, because Candlestick had the earthquake during the World Series, which is uh, relevant because Greg Bedard's going to finish his investigation after the World Series. Shaq, back to you. Oh, oh Mike, hold oh, on. Hold on. That's, a great, that's a great poll. Jeff Fuller was an outstanding player. The other yep. guy who, who ought to be on this list is Robert Edwards. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes, that's a great one. You know, it, it, Edwards' rookie season, and I, I'm making this not so rapid fire, um, Curtis Martin's one of my, is maybe my all-time favorite Patriot, you know, not named Brady or from this run, but um, yeah, that's a great one. That's a great, Edwards had a great you, you, rookie But year. you can't say Edwards though, because if you say Edwards, then Pete Carroll never gets fired, right? Oh, this is a sliding doors kind of thing. Let's, that's uh -oh. not a wormhole <laughs> we want to go down. All right, all right. If I, if, I, if I have another one, then I'm going with Malcolm Mitchell. Another uh, oh, great. Bill Belichick nice. draft bust, Malcolm Mitchell. <laughs> well, John, if he really wanted him, he wouldn't have waited to the fourth round to pick him. <laughs> well, that's exactly right. Yeah. All right, Shaq, back to you, my friend. Oh, well, this is my last one because I thought I was going to be more prepared for this. But, yeah, um, <laughs> favorite Patriots touchdown song. I know it's kind of it's kind of out there, but. Well, they, they stopped playing rock and roll part one because of obvious <laughs> things. Um, obvious reasons. I liked, personally, I liked the song. I think I think it was a Springsteen song, but I associate with Randy Moss and these long, spectacular touchdowns. This, it was the song they played during the 07 season that I'm going to have to look up when the podcast is over. Um I believe yeah. it's I believe it's Elevation from U2. I wouldn't. Yes, yes, it is Elevation yeah. from U2. That's right. That's that's a great one. That's a great one. Where else? What what other Patriots podcast could you talk about touchdowns celebration songs? I associate the rock and roll part one with uh, um, both the old Foxborough Stadium and the Ted Sarandis show on WEEI back in the day. Ted. Um, all right, Shaq, back to you, my friend. Do you have any more for us? Oh, that's about it. I only had two. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. We'll we'll be a little bit more uh, prepped next time. We have a couple of listener emails before we wrap, or wrap up. Uh, veteran ET emailer Patrick Bowen uh, just wanted to call me up. He said he, he said he he's quoting me here. I used the term uh, intelligent Jets fans, which in and of itself is an oxymoron, but he forgives me for that sort of thing. And the other emails from uh, Vinny, our buddy Vinny. Um, and I, we didn't really cover this. We did talk about Mac Jones. Um, if Jones and Newton are relatively even after training camp, he wants us to, to address the throw a rookie quarterback into the fire. Is it better to redshirt him? And I don't want to get into take slinging at this point. Um, there's a whole lot of, uh, I mean, there's a lot in front of us. There's a lot to happen. We saw what happened, you know, with Cam Newton just destroying the psyche 
of uh, Scartelli's boy, Skidzy, in camp last year to the point where they bring him back Brian Hoyer, what looks like initially a, uh, it might be it might be twilight time for uh, Stidzy and his uh, the five watches he wears when he's training and peddling products on on the Instagram. Uh, so the email address is entitledtown at gmail.com. The Twitter account is at entitledtown. Uh, John is at that John Irons. Shaq is at atomic dog 5150. Scartelli sports drunk junk draw, he tried to say in English is at the 15net.com. Shaq's been joining us there, uh, dropping some knowledge and, you know, exposing people that I certainly have a great amount of enmity for. Dan is at Patriots Daily. Um, gentlemen, this was fun. I'm looking forward to, we're hoping to drop a couple of ETs in the upcoming week. Um, so I think that's all. I think that's all. And I'm, I'll just Hang remind on. you once again. Not, go not ahead. yet, not yet, not yet. We need to, uh, we need to, you know, do our due diligence here. Uh, during the emergency podcast, you mentioned that yes. uh, Mac Jones has two DUIs. We've done some research, and he's only been arrested for one DUI that we know about. Correct. It's Correct. entirely possible that he's used a fake name, like a character in a PG Woodhouse novel. But uh, time will tell. Well, and, and, you know, we also don't know if you've ever if he's ever been publicly intoxicated and peed on the wall of a fraternity house. I mean, just because he hasn't been caught doing it, like certain uh, you'd have to be NFL, a real low life, a real low life with no self-awareness to do that. Yeah, it's not it's not doing it. It's getting caught doing it. That's when you're a low life. And then and then invoking a uh, well, anyway, we can talk about that another time. So uh, Entitled Town apologizes for the error. I am off to take my lap. And in closing. Turn off your radio. And we're going to stay positive all the way through. And if you think I'm going to succumb to negativity, you're wrong. you got the wrong guy leading this basketball team.